This is episode 42 of the Magic Detective Podcast. On this episode, I talk about the shocking life of Dr. Walford Bodie. That and more on this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Magic Detective Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective, and this is episode 42. Wow, so much, so much is going on. Where to begin? Uh, well, first, uh, coming up on February 29th, 2020, the next Potter and Potter auction of cool magic history stuff is, uh, is going to happen. So, um, that's part three, if I'm not mistaken, part three of the collection of Jim Rollins. The catalog is available to view online now, so you can go check that out at potterauctions.com. Uh, in the Magic History News Department, there is a very interesting find recently that John Cox over at wildabouthoudini.com uncovered. An apparent Houdini water torture cell has been discovered. Now, there's been much speculation as to whether or not this is a fake or if it's real. And I think Pat Colleton has the best take on the entire thing. He believes that this is a reproduction that Henry Mueller had made for the Houdini Museum in Niagara Falls. I'll say it's a pretty convincing duplicate. There are differences, though, between that water torture cell and the, uh, the original. If you somehow missed it, Please go over to wildabouthoudini.com and look up the article on the newly found water torture cell. I think you're really going to enjoy the article and especially the pictures. Now, I do have to offer a quick apology for how slow I've been getting the podcast episodes out in 2020. This is only the second one. Um, sorry about that. But I have to say this, I've been having a lot of fun. I think I've kind of fallen into a groove that's helping me uh, make these a little bit easier. Truth be told, I'm never 100% happy with any episode. Uh, that's a humble confession. It's the bare truth. I always think about afterwards how I could have done them better, uh, what information I left out, what I should have included. But as self-critical as I am, I always realize that my audience, you, uh, are enjoying the podcasts. I take solace in that. But one thing I've, I've, it's been happening with these episodes here lately is, uh, you know, in season one, I used to have to think about, well, who am I going to do next? And, you know, do I have the, have enough information on this person or that person? And it seems like here in season two, that the people are just coming to me. Uh, in particular today, uh, this fellow, um, I, I first heard about, uh, or I first, I should say, I first heard this man's name mentioned by Paul Daniels. And I don't recall where I heard Paul Daniels say it. It's probably on some video somewhere, but the name was unusual enough that it stuck in my brain. I do vaguely recall that Paul Daniels uh, was describing this person as a very eccentric artist, but I didn't really know anything about the person. And I knew that someday I'd have to find out more. I figured for my blog, but now that I have the podcast, this is going to be the perfect place. Um, since the beginning, this particular man was going to be covered here on the podcast. 
uh, I kept coming across his name and books and magazines and you name it. It was kind of like he was speaking to me from beyond the grave saying, pick me, pick me. So I did. But that's when things got kind of strange because all of a sudden he was no longer in the books. I mean to say the places that I was sure that I had read about him, he was no longer there anymore. There was no reference to him. No mention of him in the David Price book. No mention in Annals of Conjuring. No mention of him in Illustrated History of Magic. No mention in book after book after book. He suddenly vanished, or so it would seem. And then I found a short reference to him in um, The Great Illusionists by Edwin Dawes. And there he was in all his glory. And of course, I did find him on Ask Alexander, and I knew he was on Ask Alexander. I knew that all along, but I wanted to find him in my library first. Today's feature is about a man who some consider to be a quack. He was a hypnotist, a charlatan maybe, a mentalist, a showman, a promoter par excellence. His name was Dr. Walford Bodie, and he was one of a kind. He was born Samuel Murphy Brody on the 11th of June, 1869 in Aberdeen, Scotland. Let me point out that last name Brody with an R rather than Bodie was found in two separate sources. The first was Conjurian Discoveries by John Booth. The other was Learned Pigs and Fireproof Women by Ricky Jay. Had young Samuel followed his parents' wishes, he would have either been a minister or a doctor. Well, the latter came true in a manner of speaking, although first he went to work at the Scottish National Telephone Company, and it was here that he learned a great deal about a topic that would become foremost in his career, that would be electricity. He taught himself magic from books like Hoffman's Modern Magic, but where he learned ventriloquism is anyone's guess. His performing career begins around 1884 at the age of 15. He would do magic shows and travel lectures at the Stonehaven Town Hall, not far from where he lived. His travel lectures were interesting because he would lecture on places he had never traveled to. Ricky Jay's book points out that the name Walford was the surname of his brother-in-law, and he added this to his own name, becoming Dr. Walford Bodie, sometime in the 1890s. And for the record, he was not a real doctor, but more on that later. In 1887, he would marry Miss Jeannie Henry. She would eventually become part of the Bodie show, along with her, Jeannie's sisters, Isabella Marie and Helen all became part of the show. Isabella would be known as La Belle Electra. Marie would be known as Mystic Marie. And Helen would become Princess Ruby. And Jeannie? Why, she would become Miss Walford Bodie. In the June 1904 issue of The Sphinx, it says, Dr. Walford Bodie, hypnotist, is about to introduce a new novelty in the form of a hypnotic singer dancer, pianist, and artist. The business will be of the usual silent thought transmission order. The young lady, Mystic Marie, the real Trilby, will sing, play, draw, and dance upon request of the audience. His show was a mixture of things. He had a very unusual ventriloquism setup that uh, involved about half a dozen figures. He did something called bloodless surgery, 
And then there was his electrical act. And he finished with feats of hypnotism. By the way, the period that all of this was taking place was before homes or businesses had electricity. They were still using gas lamps and such. And along comes Dr. Wilfred Bodie, the British Edison, or another moniker he used was the Electric Wizard. He would shock people with his exhibitions, pun intended. One of the features of his act, his electric act, was the human electric cooker. And I'm not sure if this is the craziest thing I've ever heard or if this was the coolest thing I've ever heard. And I'm leaning towards the coolest. Here's an eyewitness account from the pages of Abracadabra, July 5th, 1969. It says, I remember how he gripped two metal terminals and sparks flew in all directions as he boldly held the potato between his teeth until it began to steam, and then passing it out to his assistant, she cut it up on a plate and handed it around the audience. I tasted the potato on that occasion, and it was certainly good and well cooked. Another electrical exhibition involved his cage of death, which was an upright metal cage he would step inside and the cage was electrified. Sparks would shoot everywhere. It was said that 30,000 volts went through his body, but he came out unscathed. Now, if this description brings to mind an electric chair, well, he had one of those too. He used a mock-up of the type of electric chair that was used in Sing Sing Prison. That is, until Houdini gave him what was thought to be the original and actual Sing Sing electric chair in 1920. Bodhi would actually put this chair out on display with a sign on the front saying this was the legit Sing Sing electric chair and that it came from his friend Houdini. Houdini, by the way, got the chair from Huber's Museum in New York City, but the truth of the chair was that it was not the original Sing Sing electric chair. It was a fake and I'm not sure if Houdini knew this, and I'm pretty certain that Dr. Bodhi uh, was convinced it was the real deal. This information, thanks to an article on Bodhi and the chair from wildabouthoudini.com, and also additional information from the Houdini Museum in Scranton. From Stanyan's Magic, Volume 1, Number 10, Dr. Walford Bodhi, ventriloquist and mesmerist, finished his fortnight's stay here on June 8th. The draw of the performance was The Electrocuted Man, in which Dr. Brody, after mesmerizing an assistant, places him in a chair, which he says is exactly the same as the one that was used in Sing Sing Prison in New York. He then goes through a whole performance of electrocution, giving his assistant, as he says, the number of volts sufficient to kill a man in America. Needless to say, however, after about 15 minutes, he brings him around again. By the way, during the electric chair, or as he called it, the electrocuted man routine, Bodhi could hold a cigarette right up near the spectator and it would light. Or he could take it like an incandescent bulb and hold it near the spectator and it would light up. It was an amazing experiment and yet completely safe. Or was it? Listen to this. April 1906, Bodhi was badly burned during a performance at the Palace Theater in Halifax. He was presenting one of his electrical effects when something short-circuited and caused him to be burnt. The audience assumed it was part of the show, but in truth, he was seriously injured, even though he continued with the act. This was recorded in the Magician magazine by Will Goldston, April 1906. In May 1906, 
Bodie became very seriously ill while at the Hippodrome in St. Helens. A doctor checked him out, and he was found to be completely exhausted. And I'm just surmising it was probably partly due to the injury from the month prior. Bodie was not the only performer in this show. His wife also performed in the show. She presented an act, a sort of an Annie Abbott, the Georgia Magnet Act. Mrs. Brody became the Magnetic Lady. Bodie claimed to be the originator of this act, but it's more than likely a copy of the Annie Abbott Act. And here's a cute piece that appeared in, the, uh, in a newspaper of the day. Jinnabody, life of Bodie, when she's mesmerized. Jinnabody, shift of Bodie, Bodie is surprised. But when the matter in the daily gets well publicized, then that Bodie is a body who is advertised. Say that two times fast. Now let's examine bloodless surgery. This too was actually tied to the electrical routines and Dr. Bodie made claims he could heal and or cure numerous ailments through electricity. He actually was using a combination of the power of suggestion, hypnotism, and well, maybe in some cases pure deception to bring about his results. In the pages of the Magic Circular in a 1974 edition, I discovered a technique that Bodhi used. This was with the bloodless surgery routine, and I'm breaking a rule here of never revealing a secret. But in this case, I think it's okay, because I'm pretty sure magicians don't use this uh, as much as charlatans do. Bodhi would meet with people beforehand that were going to be involved in the surgery. They would each be giving a walking stick to use, even if they didn't need one. In some cases, they'd be put in a wheelchair. Later, during showtime, when it was time for the bloodless surgery routine, he would call for them, and they would walk to the stage using their walking canes. And he would dramatically whisk the walking canes away and toss them to the side, saying, You won't need these anymore. Likewise, with the wheelchairs, he would command them to stand, and they would stand up and, and walk towards him, and from the audience's perspective, they just saw a miracle. These are the same techniques used by fake faith healers, and it looks like they may have originated with Dr. Walford Bodie. From the book, The Great Illusionists by Edwin Dawes, we discover that Bodie took this whole medical thing beyond the stage, the Bodie Electric Drug Company had premises at 163 Blackfairs Road in London and was retailing electric life pills and electric liniment. These medications were for rejuvenating the system and killing pain in the man or beast, respectively, and were claimed to work miracles and act like lightning. Something I discovered that is not written about in the Magic Periodicals is that Bodhi, in almost every town he visited, made a point of seeing the sick and attempting to help them with his cures. Again, using a combination of the power of suggestion, hypnosis, and electricity, uh, Bodhi did end up helping people. Naturally, this could be looked upon as a way to drum up publicity for his appearances, and maybe that had something to do with it, but... I get the impression he thought he was genuinely helping people. And this is an important point. He never charged for these services. Now, sure, you had to pay to get to see his show. But when he was helping people with the health, he never charged. In 1903, the Medical Defense Union of England had had enough of Bodie. 
They were tired of him posing as a doctor without real credentials, and he was taken to court. The judge found that perhaps his methods may not suit the taste of all, and it was well known that doctors were jealous people, but we have evidence of cases where doctors have failed, and which have been cured by Dr. Bodie's treatment. In 1906, the Medical Defense Union would again take Bodie to court, and again, they did not get the results they wanted. So, in 1909, the Medical Defense Union found some real dirt on Bodie in the form of a disgruntled former worker. Bodie was sued by a former assistant in his show, Charles Irving. They had a rather unique arrangement. Irving paid Bodie the sum of 1,000 pounds in order to learn Bodie's techniques in medical electricity, hypnotism, bloodless surgery, and more. As it's stated in Ricky Jay's book, Learned Pigs and Fireproof Women, Irving believed Bodie was a qualified doctor. During the course of the trial, Bodie's effects and techniques were exposed. The fact that he used paid confederates how he pre-screened potential people to heal, how he used stooges during his hypnosis demonstrations, and more. The judge wanted to know where Bodhi received his degree. Bodhi had to say that his degree was, in his own words, a showman's privilege. Then they asked, So you're not an MD? To which he said he was, but MD in his case stood for Mary Devil. Interestingly, here too, at the close of the trial, it was admitted that with thousands of demonstrations by Bodhi, it's likely he did heal some people, if only by the power of suggestion. But as to having any sort of legitimate medical knowledge, they said he did not. And the jury awarded Charles Irving his thousand pounds, and Bodhi had to return it to him. This is the kind of thing that would destroy a lesser performer. In fact, uh, something not terribly dissimilar happened uh, when the fake faith healer Peter Popov was exposed back in the 1980s for being a fraud. That revelation came out on the, uh, the Tonight Show via The Amazing Randy, and it was exposed to millions. In Dr. Walter Bodie's case, it made it into the local press. But then Bodhi took it a step further and had a huge lithograph poster created. The poster showed a court scene. On the four corners of the poster were images of Bodhi's cage of death, the electric chair, x-rays, melting metal, electric bombs, and more. The poster says, A great victory at the High Courts London. But then below the poster reads, at the High Courts London, an expert electrician appointed by Mr. Justice Darling swore on his oath in the witness box that Dr. Walford Bodie, who had coupled himself up to a 16-inch spark induction coil, had passed 30,000 volts through his body, a feat never attempted or duplicated by any living electrician. This stupendous and daring feat was accomplished by Dr. Bodie before a British jury of 12 honest men. That is a wonderful declaration, except it's not what he was on trial for. And that, by the way, is a genius bit of marketing. It's a wonderful way of turning lemons into lemonade. And if that wasn't uh, trouble enough, though, the medical profession was still not through with Dr. Walford Bodie. In November of that year, a group of medical students attacked 
Yeah, yeah, that's the best word. Attacked several of his performances. It turned into what was called the Bodhi Riot, and it happened at the Glasgow Coliseum. They were throwing fruit and cans and all manner of things at the stage and generally heckling Bodhi. In London, around the same time, his home was apparently vandalized by some medical students. And due to the conflict, theater bookers became reluctant to book Bodhi's show for fear of reprisals. The Bodhi Electric Drug Company also folded around this time, though it appears he may have had less to do with this venture than maybe just licensing his name. But one thing was certain, he had some dark days ahead. At one point, Bodhi reached out to his friend Houdini for help. He knew that Houdini was friends with Harry Day and wondered if he could put a put in a good word and perhaps drum up some work for him. He also hoped to get a tour of America going. In the pages of Houdini's own Conjurer's Monthly magazine, this appeared. It is true that Dr. Walford Bodhi is booked to appear in America at an enormous salary for Al Woods. He ought to be a big hit. And who was the sponsor of this tour? None other than Harry Day, the pioneer London agent. And yet, the tour never happened. Now, I did find in the pages of the Conjurer's Monthly magazine, this. Dr. Walford Bodie, the man who ought to have appeared in America, is doing better than ever in Wales and making a lot of money. Still, by not exhibiting himself in the States, he has disappointed many people. In 1916, the Bodhi show was on tour and traveling via ship called the Arabia. On November 6th, a German U-boat attacked the ship. Dr. Walford Bodhi was one of the last people off the ship before it sunk. But as it drifted down to the ocean floor, so went five tons of theatrical equipment. The entire Bodhi show was gone. Seems magicians who tour by boat sure have a... Uh, well, they're prone to the occasional sea accident. Usually it's a ship running aground, like in Harry Keller's case, but uh, a German submarine, that's a new one. Now, he did rebuild, but things got tougher on Bodie. In the preceding years, Mystic Marie, La Belle Electra, his own daughter Jeannie, his daughter Kitty, as well as his, his son Albert, all passed away. He continued to perform with his wife, though it is said that she was never quite the same after the event at sea. For a time, Bodie turned to mainly a hypnosis show for ease of travel, though in his last days I did read a report of someone who saw him do a short 15-minute show with at least one of his electrical routines included. As times changed and people became aware of how electricity worked, his appeal dwindled. And, of course, all the trouble he had with the medical profession didn't help. He eventually did drop the MD from his name, though I think he retained doctor, I think. He continued to perform right up until the end. He hadn't been top of the bill for years, but as show people, well, as show people know all too well, a performer must perform. Dr. Wolford Bodie died at the age of 70 on October 19, 1939. He had one son who outlived him. His name was Samuel, who became a real doctor and lived until 1974. The great Scottish magician John Ramsey of the Coins and Cylinder fame saw Houdini and Bodie and considered Bodie the greater showman, though he felt Houdini was a much better showman than magician. 
All the magic magazines of the day, Mahatma, Conjurer's Monthly, and the Sphinx all regularly covered Bodhi's career. He was extremely unique in many ways. Some of his hypnosis routines are said to still be performed today. And his priming the pump methods used in his bloodless surgery were picked up by fake faith healers. Okay, maybe the latter isn't what you want to be known for, but... But I will say that after digging into his life, and especially the article I read about uh, that was written by a fellow hypnotist, it seems that Bodhi, as flamboyant and as charismatic as he was, also genuinely cared for people. And he did try to use his, what, you know, was his medical knowledge. He did try to use it to help people. In 1905, he wrote a book called The Bodhi Book. It's available on askalexander.com. When I say it's available, you can read it there. You can't, um, you can't buy it. Uh, I have read some of it, and it's fascinating, to say the least. And I understand there's a book that came out in 2005 on Bodhi's life called Showman or Charlatans by Roger Woods and Brian Lead. And I didn't have access to this, uh, unfortunately, when I was doing the research for this uh, podcast. But I will say this, after looking into the life of Dr. Walford Bodie, this story has movie written all over it. Oh my gosh, what an incredible, uh, incredible individual. That's going to do it for episode 42 of the podcast. I hope you... Uh, enjoyed this fascinating look into the life of Dr. Walford Bodie. If you did enjoy the podcast, please, please be sure to like it by hitting the like button or the heart button or whatever your podcast service offers. And if you're listening on iTunes, please consider giving me a five-star review. Um, I've been doing a little bit of research on these iTunes review things. And um, I think if I get a certain amount iTunes will begin to feature my podcast among the uh, the more famous podcasts that are within the same category. But uh, I've got a lot of five star reviews to get before I get there. So, but everyone helps. So thank you. Anyway, my friends, thanks for listening. I really do appreciate everyone who's a listener and a fan of the podcast. Oh, if you get a chance, uh, go over to my blog which is themagicdetective.com, and check out some of the recent articles. I've been posting transcripts of some of the podcasts, but I also put up a, a follow-up article on the Chevalier Ernest Thorne's illusions that I think you really will like, uh, especially because it has photos with it. So until next time, I'm Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective. Be well and be safe.